Hi, welcome to Verse Podcast, powered by Vime Capital. We will be hearing from leaders all across the long-term care sector who are shaping the future of our profession. Through these discussions, it's our hope that you will be even more well-versed as you tackle your day in seniors housing and healthcare. I'm your host, Scott Tittle, and this is Versed. Hey, I'd like to welcome this episode of our Biome Capital Verse podcast, Emmett Reed, the president of the Florida Healthcare Association. Hey, Emmett, thanks for being on our podcast. Good morning, Scott. Thank you for having me. This is really fun today because we're old friends. We've known each other for, I don't know, 13 or 14 years, and we've got a ton of great, fun war stories we could tell and take up a whole day. Uh, we're going to talk about some important things going on in Florida today, and I want to hear one of their listeners to know a little more about you and your background. But I was trying to remember, I started as the president of the Indiana Healthcare Association in 2010. I, we were in the same PUD class, so to speak, right, with our friend Heath Bodie uh, from uh, Nebraska, who's been on our podcast before, too. You had started maybe that year or just the year before. Is that right? Somewhere around then? Yeah, I started in 2009. That's exactly right. Hey, before we get started, some substantive work. Um, hey, I know you're a, a really proud husband, a proud father. Tell me a little about your family and your kids and where they are right now. So I've been married um, to Heather for, uh, we celebrated 30 years this past October. Right. Uh, nice. Together 37 years. We're high school sweethearts, believe it or not. And she uh, somehow decided to stay with me through college and <laughs> everything else. So three wonderful children. Um, our, our oldest daughter is Emily. She's uh, All three of them graduated from Florida State University. Well, actually, she graduated from Florida State University. I have two there now. But Emily is a, a registered dietitian um, at a hospital down in the St. Pete, Tampa area. And then my son, Everett, uh, is a senior at Florida State University, double majoring in mass media communications, got a music scholarship, and is actually uh, tomorrow night is opening as the lead for FSU's uh, School of Theater. Our youngest, Abigail, she's a sophomore majoring in business, and she's really just starting to come into her own, plugged in, um, becoming uh, very involved in her sorority, but also with um, the school as a student booster representative. You know, my kids are younger than yours, but I'd imagine as you see your kids come older and, and become adults, seeing them fulfill their mission in life and follow their passions, helping others got to be really, really rewarding. That, that's got to be really exciting. In terms of your background, uh, this was this is not your first association you've worked with. You've had some great experiences kind of in chamber of commerce world and also in the home builder world. Tell, tell our listeners a little bit about that background and then what you think maybe led you to running the Florida Healthcare Association and those experiences that made you a better leader. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I'm a big believer in providence and uh, really I, you can't look back at my career and think that there wasn't uh, a greater power. <laughs> I was a, I was a less than stellar student. I tell people I graduated, thank the Lord. Eh? So, uh, but uh, once I, I got out in the, in the real world, worked for a couple of years for the state of Florida in the regulatory environment. Uh, so I learned that, um, got a job at the Lakeland Chamber of Commerce uh, for two years as their membership director. And uh, we were really fortunate enough to break a couple of national records for membership recruitment in the Lakeland area, which Lakeland is located right between Tampa and Orlando, Florida. So, and it's smack dab in the middle. It was really a great opportunity. It was a growing city whenever I worked for the chamber. Uh, and then out of the blue, Florida Home Builders Association calls me and says, hey, we we want to interview you for a job and we want you to be our membership director. We don't really have a, a job description for it, but we see what you're doing there in Lakeland and we're hoping you can replicate it, you know, on a statewide level. And so, um, that was 1997. I can remember I was in Tallahassee, Florida. Tallahassee is about a four, four and a half hour drive from Lakeland. And so uh, in my interview, they asked me, would I you know, be willing to move to Tallahassee? And I um, pulled a map out and I showed them all their local affiliates that they had. And they were much closer to Lakeland than Tallahassee. And I would save them a lot more money if I could do something which was really novel back then. And I offered to work from my home. And so I worked um, 
from my home for about five years. And then they came to me and said, look, we, we really like what you're doing. We really think, um, and this was the CEO at the time said that if you, if you move to Tallahassee, I'd like to, to kind of bring you up to be the next CEO of the, uh, Florida Home Builders Association. And so that's how that happened. Um, did that for about three and a half years as the CEO. I was with them 11 years total. And then this opportunity came up and here I am. Well, that's great. And again, I always love our listeners to know kind of who we're talking to and the backgrounds they bring to the to the long-term care space. And I've got a friend who's got a great phrase that says, there's no coincidence in Providence, right? So let's get into your work at Florida Healthcare Association. Tell us a little about the size of your membership, because I think you, I have a sense you kind of work with basically almost all of the SNF operators in the state, but give give our listeners kind of a sense of the size of the association. What are you working on right now? What are some top priorities for the for this session? In Florida, you have 700 SNFs of school nursing facilities, and we represent um, uh, just over 600 of them. We also represent some ALFs. Uh, and then, of course, we have about uh, four to 500, depending on the year and time of year of, of our associate members. So we, we represent over a thousand members and we represent uh, obviously a large majority, about 86, 87% of the nursing homes in the state of Florida. We'd love to represent them all. And that's our goal. Um, and I think one day we will. I really do believe that. We think that we can help every single nursing home in Florida become a higher quality, a higher revenue uh, uh, care center. So we are in the middle of session. We've got about uh, 15 days left, uh, but who's counting? It's been a very interesting session this year. Basically, we had two two issues this year. Number one uh, is reimbursement. That was a, a huge issue. We are still not receiving our costs for Medicaid, and uh, there's a delta there. And you know, back in the old days, the the Medicare would make up for that. But you know, now that uh, you know we've got the Advantage programs and all those good things going on, um, th- that's kind of all balanced out. And so. Uh, we really do need to be reimbursed for the the cost of taking care of our frail and elderly and the residents of of our nursing homes. So reimbursement is is our top issue, and uh, we are fighting diligently for that. the The biggest hurdle is we've had a lot of success uh, with reimbursement over the last four years in particular. And so the legislature, you know, is an interesting body. They've been very good to nursing homes in Florida. So, so I want to make sure that this is framed the right way. Uh, but it's just hard to understand the pressures that everybody is feeling. They, they not only have to worry about nursing homes, they go to worry about hospitals, they go to worry about the, the, the development of the disabled, and on and on. They go to worry about farmers. And it's incumbent upon us to compel them and to help them to understand why we need that reimbursement. So that's that's number one. And number two is we had just a small little regulatory bill. We introduced a PCA program. Uh, the, uh, the personal care attendant program. And um, while we we are required to do reporting on the PCAs, um, it's hard for the lawmakers to find where that reporting is. So we're just putting it all into a uh, an area that's easy for them to find. On that point you raised, though, I've heard you talk about how great the Florida General Assembly has been to members and operators in Florida. Say a little about where you've been the last couple of years so that you've been able to realize some significant Medicaid increases to date, and that shows their full commitment to the sector too, especially during and post-COVID. Tell us about the increases you've been able to receive. Yeah, it's it's been really good. They've been very um, they've been very thoughtful. In the last four years, it's been about a $660 million increase to nursing homes in Florida. It's been well over a billion dollars the last 10 years. There have been three staffing bills passed over the past uh, three years. Uh, by the legislature. And some of those have had a positive fiscal impact on the bottom line. 
while still maintaining um, you know a high level of quality. So, which is super important to this uh, legislature, and it's important to our members. You clued in on a couple of things I want to make sure we talk about. Uh, one in particular is I think you know when we talked about the the impact of COVID to the entire sector. You know, one of the things certainly that became very true to light was the chronic underfunding of Medicaid state to state. Others have really struggled. Some states and general assemblies have just not really understood that you know, that Medicaid is the prevailing payer for long-term care on the skilled side. And that robust Medicaid rate really does improve and, and, and realize higher outcomes. The money is much needed in order to take, make sure we're taking care of the baby boom generations coming through. So congratulations on all your wins to date. You mentioned the staffing bill. Uh, certainly one of the hot topics that we're all facing here uh, coming up is we're waiting to see President Biden's uh, minimum staffing ratio bill at the national level. I know you did some really good work with your state general assembly to make sure the staffing ratios at the state level were achievable and realistic. Tell our listeners a little about what what is what you do have there in, in Florida in place. Let's go back to the the CMS. We're, we're we're really concerned about that because it could undo some of the good work that that we've done in Florida. But what we've allowed with our staffing bill to do is for credit to be given to the proper disciplines that are actually giving the care. So um, instead of just having a small box of what you're allowed to count for your hours toward that patient care, yeah, you're allowed to bring in the the uh, you know the speech therapist or any other discipline that actually has hands-on uh, touching of the residents that's able to uh, free up nurses to do their jobs. Not everybody wants to be a CNA. PCA is kind of like a glide path into becoming a CNA. They don't have to, to be a CNA to start. Uh, they're allowed to kind of dip their toe, um, work with the CNAs under the guidance of nurses. And then after a certain amount of time, if they like it, they stay in, they take their CNA test, and they've got a career now. Well, I think for our listeners, you can kind of see what Emmett's been able to achieve in Florida is really sort of a market-based approach to what makes sense for operators in Florida. And this top-down sort of one-size-fits-all rule coming out of CMS is going to be a complete disaster for the sector going forward, none the least of which there's no funding for it and also just the workers aren't there. And what you've been able to do in Florida is really acknowledge that there are a number of people that work in the building that, are, that contribute to quality. I know you're going to be front and center on the advocacy uh, side going forward when we see that rule. So thanks in advance for all the hard work. You've seen a lot in your 15 years, hurricanes, COVID. You've had a governor that's run for president once or twice. I mean, you've seen a lot. What's been your greatest challenge you think you've had to, to face head on? It may sound like an obvious question to answer, but I'd be curious to sort of hear what you're thinking of your seat. We do face a lot of challenges, especially with hurricanes and, and natural disasters and things of that nature. We've got a very robust association and a very active emergency response team here um, at the association. I think COVID, well, hands down, is is without question the biggest challenge that um, I've seen us face as a, as a profession, as a country. It was catastrophic, especially in nursing homes. You know, we were ground zero, for lack of a better term. Was honored to serve on the governor's task force for reopening nursing homes. That was a, a real honor. And we worked through that. And, you know, we were one of the first states to open up visitation to nursing homes again. And that's, again, the governor was extremely sensitive to the fact that we had staff that were scared, staff that were compromised. And you know, we're going in and risking their lives every day. So it was a fine balance. It wasn't perfect by any means. The agency here that regulates all of the nursing homes and assisted living facilities called upon the Florida Healthcare Association to host um, COVID calls. And sometimes it'd be twice a week, but we hosted over 
of 500 calls to give updates from the agency, constant communication, uh, and we opened it up to members, non-members. It didn't matter to us. It was uh, it was an emergency situation, and you know that's why the association. One of the reasons we existed and uh, and still exists. I'm real proud of the way that that uh, we handled COVID, but it certainly took its toll on our profession um, and and my team too as well. So. Glad we're on the back end of it anyway, the managed one. Well, well, thanks for sharing that perspective. I think for you, you provide such a unique uh, lens into the front lines of the battle of COVID I'm a, you know, run in Florida for sure. And I remember when I was at ACA NCAL, all those late night national conference calls, we have all the state execs and their emergency response teams and clinical uh, resources. You, you guys were front and center. And I know a lot of states were pulling uh, pages from your playbook. So thanks for your leadership during that time and all you continue to do also. Hey, speaking of leaders, I know you and I both kind of felt the same way this week when we saw the headline that Mark, in fact, is officially retiring. Mark Parkinson, beginning at 25. We all knew it was coming, but I kind of joked some of today. Now that I've seen you writing that it's actually now happening, <laughs> what a tremendous leader for our sector during the times which the country needed the most. Say a little about your thoughts about Mark Parkinson as a leader, his work, the work he's done for the association. You know, he was picking my brain and he was stealing stuff from the Florida Healthcare Association and using it up at National. And I, I kind of felt good about that. You know, like, wow, here's a governor here coming in, using our stuff. It didn't take very long from um, him calling me for advice to me calling him for advice. I mean, that guy is, he is uh, one of the best leaders I've ever known and been around. And uh, he he came into the American Healthcare Association when they were in flux, let's put it that way, you know, and uh, they needed somebody that was going to be able to, you know, commit to 10 or 15 years uh, to to help really stabilize the association. We did not have 80, 86, 87% of the membership, but a lot of members that weren't a member of the association because they were not happy with the way that the American Healthcare Association was being run. If we go back to the beginning of this podcast, you know, my, my background is sales. And so if you give me something good to sell, I can sell it. And Mark was able to create um, a program at the American Healthcare Association that was not only sellable, but you could almost prove that it was necessary to be a member of this organization if you really wanted to thrive. And uh, so best people I've ever had the honor of privilege of working with, great mentor. He has transformed long-term care in the last 15 years. And I'm happy for him. Of course, we'll miss him, but he set the standard. We know what it looks like now to have a professionally well-run organization. And I don't think our members will ever accept anything less. I was on a call with Mark a couple of days ago and and uh, with the national constituency call and and true to form, you know, his his work, he's not, he's not mailing in this year. He's working hard on the front lines for the sector. Big battles still to come with the Medicare payment rule coming. Obviously, the minimum staffing ratio bill, you know, a national election coming up. And so there's and Medicaid battle state to state. So um, true to form, he's he's going to work until the day he walks out of the office. So and 66 is really young these days, right? So he's got a lot of a lot of time. He's still doing <laughs> right. a lot of good work. That's so, right. Hey, this has been really fun today. I mean, I got two more questions to ask you. And let's go back to one of the topics. I know you're a huge Florida State fan. You can't tell, but I'm going to step a little bit. I'm wearing my Notre Dame uh, vest for you today. I know there's a lot of turmoil with Florida State right now in terms of say a little about what do you think? Are they, are they what conference are they going to in the future, and what what's going to happen here? Really, things are actually incredibly positive uh, here in Tallahassee. I'm great friends with a lot of the leadership, and you'll never convince me that uh, the college football playoff wasn't an invitational this year. I don't care what anyone says; it was the biggest snub ever, yeah. and um, and that hurt. I tell you, had Florida State lost Coach Norvell, I think things would be feeling a lot differently right now. Coach Norvell committed to 10 years. Everything you see about him on TV is true. I've never seen the guy 
um, not be positive, not be energetic, not be a man of his word. If I were a bet man, I'd say Florida State's going to end up at the Big Ten. The snub happens and half the team doesn't show up for the Orange Bowl. And I was having lunch with a former wide receiver, Kez McCorvey, who also played in the NFL. And I asked him about that. I said, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? He said, well, those guys came in. They all decided, instead of going pro, to come back one more year to win the national title. They weren't raised FSU fans. They came in to win a title. And that was taken away from them. They just said, we're not playing. We're not We're not going to do that. We're not going to risk injury. We're not going to risk our future. He's reloaded this year. I think yeah. we're going to be surprised a lot of people. Yeah, I think it's going to be, yeah. be a fun time to be a Seminole. Yeah, and you had a good inside track to all those thoughts. And I tell you what, Vine Capital, which, by the way, is a very proud associate member of the Florida Healthcare Association. Love being a part of what you're doing there in Florida. Um, we're headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. And so, boy, a Florida State, Ohio State game sometime here in Columbus would be really fun, too. Boy, imagine imagine that game. Yeah, I, mean, I guess got one last question I always ask all of our all of our guests. Kind of what's on your nightstand? I mean, what what are you reading right now? Is there a book that changed your life? Is there something you recommend to other people? I'm always just looking for new things to read, but just what what's kind of influenced you? And maybe what you're, what are you reading right now? I love to read, and uh, which was not the case till probably about 27, 28 years old. I listened to a speaker named Brian Dodge, and he talked about readers being leaders. And you know, he wrote a book called The Obvious Choice, which was like super easy read, but it got me to reading. And um, and so on my nightstand now, I have the Bible on my nightstand. I'm reading through Proverbs right now. Last year, I did the, read through the Bible in a year, a book called The Power of Moments. Really excellent book, especially for anybody that has anything to do with customer service. If I were to recommend um, books, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership as a, as a huge um, book, uh, if you're having challenges with your team, the five dysfunctions of a team yeah. truly help transform this association. Uh, we we worked through that my first year. You're in a, a position where you're stuck and you want to move forward. Um, what got you here won't get you there. Just a few of uh, off the top of my head that uh, yeah. I reference, and I'm always trying to read something. You give me some great thoughts here. I'll, I'll throw one back at you. I'm in the middle of an amazing book right now called Build the Life You Want. There's a professor at Harvard Business School named Arthur Brooks. He teaches a course on happiness. He teaches at actually the Kennedy School of Government too, and he just released a book with Oprah. They, they co-authored his book based on his research at Harvard and all of his work over the years, but also Harvard just released an 80-year study on what really gives people a, a satisfaction in their work and their life and what's meaningful. And he kind of boils it down to, he said, there are four pillars to happiness, your friends, your family, your faith, and work that serves others. And he's got the data to prove it, and he's just incredibly articulate and a very interesting guy. So I really highly recommend Build the Life You Want. It is so good. I'm actually slow reading it. I don't even want it to end. I know you are super busy in the middle of your legislative session and to spend some time with us and our listeners means a lot to us. Thanks again for all you're doing there in Florida on the national stage. It really means a lot to me personally and, and your friendship over the years. I've, I'm a better person because of your friendship and your counsel. So thanks for all you've done for me. Boy, I just can't thank you enough for your time today. Scott, thank you. This has been great. It's super easy because that's truly talking with a, a, a true friend. So thank you so much. And for our listeners, thanks for turning in to this uh, episode of Verse, the Biome Capital Podcast. Uh, be sure to turn in next time when we continue to talk to leaders that are moving in our sector and making things better for our operators and, and owners across the whole country. Emmett, thanks again for your time.